the very concept of the institution of higher learning is about to be broken. He's a gym teacher. We have no idea what he's capable of. Enough is enough. It's time for a collected activity of all of us who are engaged in resistance in some form or other to learn how to collaborate together, to end our isolation, to end our particulars, and to become part of that universal movement that says... The revolution will be broadcast. Intellectuals are not a, a cherished aristocracy within society. They, they are sort of isolated within their own ivory tower. Now I realize that you must stick close together because you share a common goddamn backbone, but I want to see some movement. You have to have a movement, please. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. The fundamental movement. Okay, so welcome to The Fundamental Movement. Uh, if this is your first time listening to us, go back and listen to all the other episodes because you won't understand the bloody thing we're going on about. So tonight is a, a, an interesting episode. We've got uh, two of our regular uh, guests, uh, Aaron Beatley, University of Kentucky. Welcome back, Aaron. Thank you. And uh, Nathan Horn in Singapore. Welcome back, Nathan. Thanks, Dane. And we have uh, a very special guest, and I don't have many friends, but I do put her in the category of friend uh, from the University of Birmingham, Vicky Goodyear. Welcome, Vicky. Hello. So Vicky has been roped in at the last minute here. She's got eyes like dinner plates. Really doesn't know what she's in for, but this will be a uh, it'll be a learning curve nonetheless. So this evening um, we 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 did a we did an episode a couple of episodes ago on um, pedagogical models and a bit of a conversation on models. Um, and we'd like to drill into that a little bit further tonight. We specifically want to talk about um, the teaching games for understanding model and, I suppose, later evolutions of, of that thinking around game-centred approaches uh, to physical education. So I'll start, I think I'll start off with the first question, and feel free to jump in, is um, maybe what, what what's people's general understanding of teaching games for understanding? What, what do we know about it and... For those who who aren't using it, or those who are who are using it and think they know what it is, what what does the what does the group think think I, about teaching? I think Aaron should go first because I think <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the shortest because yeah. I know the least about it. Frankly, I'll be open and honest with you up front. I, I, again, I think it has a, a great place in physical education, and I think it's uh, a valuable tool for, te- for teachers. Um, it seems again in the Twitterverse, it seems to be somewhat popular. Um, I just don't know how prevalent, and it's not TGFU, I don't know how prevalent model use is amongst most PE teachers. I think we're somewhat sheltered in what we know um, about that. And it's it's appropriate the Yank doesn't know much, right, because I think TGFU... <laughs> I, I, yeah. Hey, I know about barking berries, right? <laughs> and I, I, think, I, I think really, and because uh, it originated out of the UK, right, it originated out of Loughborough. Yeah. Uh, with uh, David Bunker and Rod Thorpe, so it, it, it originated in the early '80s. So I think the the US have probably been one of the late adopters, if you are seeing it in in practice. What about you, Nathan? You're well. Actually, we'll we, we'll hear what 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 Nathan has to say about right, what his understanding of it is in terms of his practice, because I know he likes to use it a lot. Yeah, um, and I think I've spoken about this um, on previous episodes where I probably would be the first to say that there was a period of my career where I was very proudly um, identifying myself as a teacher who used teaching games for understanding. Um, And that was my go-to 
sort of um, phrase. I wouldn't even say it was my go-to model because I probably didn't even understand at that time that it was a teaching model or what a teaching model was or an instructional model was. I just thought it was something that made sense to me and that I could identify with. Um, I now, um, probably if you ask me now, similar to our last episode where we talked about hybrid models, um, I probably use elements of the teaching games for understanding model or other game centered approaches in the way that I teach games. Um, but I wouldn't say that I, um, flat out subscribe to saying that I am a teaching games for understanding teacher. Mm. Like I might have in the past. Okay. So what, what, what is it? I mean, what is the model? Vicky, you're a, you're a, you're a Brit. Um, enlighten us, enlighten us colonials, about the, uh, the the history of, of um, or what you know about the model? Big ask. <laughs> I suppose um, for me, from when I was uh, an under, uh, well, a training teacher, and then in my first couple of years teaching, I always viewed uh, TGFU as um, whole part whole. So kind of a games approach, and then you take them out of the game, and then you, you develop a practice, and then you put them back into the game. So it was very game-centred. Moving out of that and um, working with Steve Harvey at University of Bedfordshire, um, kind of developed a really, really strong understanding that TGFU, you're always guided by the principle of tactics first and skills second. Um, you can kind of develop an understanding about how to develop tactical awareness and, and how to modify games to ensure that students understand about the tactical tactical side of the game and the cognitive development rather than just the skills. Um, and through that way, we get to understand uh, how we don't practice in drill-based forms and decontextualise learning and put it into a contextualised environment where it's going to be applied naturally anyway. So it's about, yeah, and- yeah, just simplifying and modifying games to increase tactical awareness. I think when you read the original papers on uh, that was written, uh, the Dave Bunker, Rod Thorpe, and I think Len Armand was the other was the other author on that 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 original seminal work is. You know the the things that really underpin it is exactly what Vicky said is this understanding that it is it is the games and really the the common tactical or by their for definition the problems of evolving games is the driving impetus for the learning um, and then the skills come second in behind that so um, you know you set up a, a problem um, and they identified the games classifications that's the other critical part of the TGFU model right the understanding that that there are games that have similar similar tactical intent and we can classify them as being target net war striking fairly or invasion games or territorial games and they they all require similar problems to be solved in those games and if they can see that those problems are similar they can you then have an impetus to learn different skills to solve them and 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 that cycle evolves with increasing complexities of games once those problems are solved and those skills are mastered. Um, yeah, I, I think it was one of the things I came across. It, it was so not a lot of people know this. Rod Thorpe, one of those co-authors, came to Australia as a Churchill Fellow, and I actually know him as because I was a Churchill Fellow as well, that through that network of people, and I didn't realise. Is that realize name dropping? Was, Is that what you just did? Yeah. That oh, was self, yeah, maybe that was self terrible, wasn't it? That was like, don't break your arm, pat yourself on the <laughs> That, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself an uppercut on that one. I didn't mean it. <laughs> okay, all the Churchill fellows out there, I've just given you all a back pat, and I'm actually giving myself an uppercut at the same time for doing so. But I suppose what he, he, the interesting thing is, he brought that that 
model of thinking to Australia, to the Australian Sports Commission, and there was a whole evolution of what we now call game sense that spawned out of out of out of that fellowship that he had, which I think is fascinating. But what what we said, very popular model. Um, um, and we're seeing a lot of a lot of conversations about it on on Twitter and in the social media, and people wanting to know more about it or saying they're using it. So, what what were your understandings of the strengths of the model? Um, well, I'll, I'll have a go at you first, Aaron. So, I'm going to ask a, a clarification. Can well, you help the ignorant explain the difference between Game Sense and TGFU? <laughs> what was that? That's a good question. I'm full of them. That's all I do. (laughs) I don't know anything. I just ask. And do you know what? I've I to this date I can't tell you. And what from what what I see is they there are always these slight variations of what they're now calling game centered approaches. And if they call it play practice, if they call it game sense, if they call it teaching games for understanding, if they call it tactical gameplay. I've heard a thousand terms dropped which essentially mean the same thing. Involve the kids in some or the individual, whether they're a player or a student in a game, um, that allow them to solve tactical problems, allow them to then refine their skills after they're making decisions, judge their performance, evolve the practice. It's essentially the same thing in my mind. I'm happy to be proven wrong on it unless anyone else can. Well, to quote, no? to quote you, mate, you can call it coloured bubbles. Yeah, you can call it call it color bubbles if you want. It's the same thing. It's starting with the game. So, what's the strength? Now you got to explain uh, color bubbles or whatever you just said. Uh, oh. Dean Dean dropped it in uh, one of the previous episodes about calling something uh, colored bubbles. Okay. Yeah. Well, what do you use, Aaron? Well, what do you think of the practice strengths of the model? Uh, I think, I mean, again, just based on what you guys have explained and my rudimentary understanding, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think the um, Pedagog- pedagogically, it makes a lot of sense as, as opposed to when you go to thinking of what students enjoy and those types of things, you know, bouncing a ball back and forth to a wall isn't a lot of enjoyment in that. Um, so if you can teach it within the confines of the game, I think there's obviously some benefits to that. I think I'm guessing I don't know this. I'm guessing there's some evidence that um, if you have some context in which the skill is going to be used, you might learn the skill a little differently. If you've never played basketball and somebody says, hey, stand here and bounce this ball against the wall, you really don't understand. If you've started to play basketball, then you start to understand, ah, this is the use of of the um, of the bounce pass or whatever. I, again, that's, that could be very rudimentary and it could be way off base, yeah. but it, I think it makes sense. I think it fits in with a lot of the things that, that I think we should be doing in physical education. Um, I, but I also say, as I said of, of things in the past, that it, it, it's not inherently good or bad. It's how it's implemented because it can be really bad if it's not implemented well and it could end up looking like roll out the ball or just playing a bunch of games if you don't do it well. And I, I'm actually going to pick you up on that a little bit later because this is one of the weaknesses of the model. But, Nathan, what about you? You've been using it for a while. Talk about just and very succinctly what are the strengths when you see it in practice. Yeah, I think for me – for me, it is um, being able to see kids who maybe aren't as skilled, especially at the elementary um, age group where I'm teaching, you know, right now I'm teaching kindergarten through grade five and being able to see kids in grade three and four who, if I was just to play basketball with them, 
wouldn't be able to necessarily dribble the ball well enough, wouldn't be able to shoot the ball high enough to score a basket, but have the understanding of what it is that they should or they know what to do. They just can't do it. And being able to use modified games um, and bring the game down to their level in terms of the skill requirements, I think, and then see them actually transfer that knowledge across different sports or whether it's between a game that looks something like basketball to soccer to rugby to Australian football, just all those um, sort of bigger ideas that sit inside the game. Um, I think for me, that's that's where I think that the strength lies in it, is it, it just gives kids more opportunities to feel successful in a wider variety mm. of things rather than just saying, we're doing basketball for six weeks right now. And if you're not very good at basketball and you don't have the skills, you might understand exactly what you need to do within that sport, but you just don't have the skills to do it. So the point, the, it's not even the skills that you pull out. One of the strengths of the teaching games for understanding model and variance of is that what they do, it's a strength and a weakness, is that they take out the social stigma of sport. So if you rocked up to your class and said, we're doing netball or we're doing um, a particular sport, and the first thing I, I used to see is oh, we're doing a unit on netball, the boys are going, oh, that's a girl's sport. Or we're going to do a unit on rugby. Oh, that's a boy's sport. So the first thing that TGFU, one of its real strengths, is it can actually discount any social stigma that an activity brings, and you can focus on the problem for what it is and the skills that come in behind it. Vicky, I'm going to throw to you. She's nursing her dog, by the way, for those, because this is a radio uh, broadcast, not a video one. But Vicky, <laughs> turn your volume on. Is you've, when we teach this to undergrads, because I know you teach it in your program and I've done it in mine, what's the pitfall? What's the dangers and the difficult parts for our beginning teachers to try and learn um, game-centred approaches as a, as a model or as a pedagogy? I think with anything, when you're teaching something new undergrad level, you're challenging what they have um, learned. So, for example, you know, you're teaching people that have been taught through a warm-up skill and game approach traditionally. When you bring that back and you're saying, right, now we've got to modify a game, we're starting this, you've got to challenge perceptions as well. And that's one of the biggest challenges to get away from in terms of moving from how you were taught to a different way of teaching. Um, and understanding different ways of structuring lessons, different ways of structuring games than simply just apply your skills into a game. Um, I think one of the challenges as well is seeing the connections between games. Um, particularly in the UK, we have a, like a multi-activity approach curriculum where in schools you'll typically do six lessons of um, netball, six lessons of football, six lessons of rugby, six lessons of cricket, et cetera, et cetera. And it's about bringing them together as, as connections between games and bringing them into game categories such as striking and fielding and invasion games and net war games and teaching the same principles, um, tactical, so the attacking and defensive principles of tennis and volleyball, for example, within a modified game that could be used in both contexts. And I think it's understanding the tactical principles within those that's really quite challenging. And it's also challenging for for teachers to learn to, to teach teacher to prospective yeah. students things as well because you have to with students uh, like in schools you are teaching them and you can kind of respond to the tactical questions that they have but with uh, pre-service teachers you're te you've got to respond to the questions of how why as well as the tactical questions 
and it's quite a big challenge. Yeah. Go, Nathan. Yeah, no, I just wanted to piggyback on um, what Vicky was saying because I read some research today. Um, actually, it was Moy Renshaw and David's, and they said that prospective physical education teaches beliefs and values around the subject and how it should be taught is basically solidified well before they begin professional um, PE teacher training. Um, and just that idea of getting them to think about things outside of that, the way that they've been taught or teach the way you were taught requires so much deeper pedagogical and content knowledge. Um, so I just it thought does, it, was, it was really interesting. And you're on the money because without backpat and backslapping you, because I won't do that, I'll backslap myself this episode, but nobody else. Right? Um, one, one of the things we know is that even after four years of training is that teachers will go and teach the way they were taught in high school and the way they were coached, not in what we do in those four-year programs, unless unless there's a serious disruption of what they consider to be good practice. So, Vicky, I'm going to come back to you, Vicky, because... No, no, go to Vicky. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to go to Vicky. How many students, when we teach TGFU in our units, you just see this massive aha moment, right? And they they start to... It's not all of them, but there's some that you... The ones that you break through to, they, they just... It's almost this exhale, this relief um, in terms of why have I been doing this for so long? Why have I been tortured with this skill drill game dogma and where actually I could have been involved in these kinds of activities. Yeah, Which, I think you need a hard moment in your sessions and after a while, but I think the real aha moment we don't ever see becomes when they apply it into with the students in the schools for them. Um, and what yeah. I was going to suggest is whilst we're talking about pre-service teachers with different models such as cooperative learning, I've experienced the same challenges with in-service teachers. So a very innovative yeah. department that I was working with six teachers, different levels of experience, um, bought into the cooperative learning model, thought it was a great model to use their students. Three months of professional development, support through social media, experts coming in. It's still a challenge to get your head around using a different way to teach in. And I would say it wouldn't have been until nine months after they had been through this process that they began to get that aha moment and they began to be able to think within the model so if we were applying this when we say think within the model we say tactics think without a regimented routine of this is step is next this is what i need to do being responsive to your students learning needs within a model specific framework of what you're thinking in terms of tactics can take a while so as much as we advocate for models as saying yeah you know these are amazing these are effective and these are great and this is the impact we also need to advocate for the professional learning and the support networks that surround those for effective translation into practice. So, what about yeah. your what about your peak programs, Aaron? Because that's well, your it, bread and butter, right? Yeah, it comes back to what you said. I mean, obviously, the evidence supports this. There's an old saying that you teach as you were taught, not as you were taught to teach, and so it speaks to the importance of those programs. Um, we also have this whole misconception of our, I think, our students here. They just think everybody loves all this stuff because they love it. They love to go out and compete and they love to be active and they but they don't understand. That, and they've hung around with people that like that. And they don't understand that the other 75 percent of their students are not going to like this. Um, and then the other issue that we run into is that they have no pedagogy. They don't have any pedagogy to understand how to do anything. So to try and and implement specific strategies as Vicky said I mean this is it's tough for existing teachers so it's 
one of the downfalls here is our, our, you know, they're finished after four years and then their master's degree may or may not be in PE, where I think the master's degree is where you can really start digging into these models and, and help them and video them and a analyze it and, and help them dig into these processes. But it just it doesn't happen. And it's a you get the zealots, the people that are on Twitter and things that really want to dig in like Nathan and really want to dig into the models and, and educate themselves and are open to being wrong and all those types of things. But if that doesn't happen, as Vicky said, with these the support, it's a really uphill battle. So what, what, yeah, um, what I was going to say is I did, early on my career, I, I was really interested in this phenomenon, what it took, and I was really passionate about the TGFU model as a, as a, as a way of shifting out of some of the more dogmatic practices we had. But, you know, when I did the research on it, the, the, the amount of, the depth of understanding that a the pre-service teacher needed to get to before they felt even comfortable trying it in practice, it was less, it was less than 5% of my cohort. Right, so uh, which is pretty scary. A hundred candidates, and only five of them are going to have a conceptual understanding of the the sorts of pedagogy and and behaviour management, all the things that they need to pull into place to have the confidence to try it over and over again. What happens when they're at that low level of conceptual understanding is really scary, actually. It, you actually get a worse model. You get the Vicky and and Aaron. You would have seen this: the roll out the ball. The students that say, "I'm doing game sense," or "I'm doing teaching games for understanding," because the kids are playing a game, and they've got the kids playing, and they're active, and they're all having a bit of fun. They're not learning anything, but they're having fun. And the teacher is very fearful of disrupting that playful activity. Right. So you don't get any of the tactical appreciation. You don't get any of the questions. You don't get any of the skill refinement. Um, one of the other things that's massive, and Vi I think Vicky, well, I think Vicky has been working with me, and we've been doing some papers on this. Is those observable teaching moments, right, Vicky? How difficult mm -hmm. are, are they to actually say when you see um, in the TGFU model that you know learnings occurred or a question needs to be asked or you need to intervene, that teachers can actually do that in in practice, I mean, what are, what are you seeing from this early research? Uh, you're seeing the the very raw data at the moment. Um, a, a teacher's ability to identify and intervene when they need to, as they're expected to do in the TGFU model, right? And yeah, ask I, questions. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's the first point you made about the roll out the ball, something to help with that, and this would link to the observable learners. Is I always say that have a kind of I call it the TGFU toolkit or the TGFU handbag. Um, and when you go to a game, think of as many different ways you could change the game and define how you would change the game. So when you if you get to a situation, it does become roll out the ball where they're just playing a game. But things are working fine. You have a little toolkit. that You can go, hey, I can do this. I can do that. And that can be a simple or, or a large modification. A simple modification would be space, make the area bigger or smaller. A more complex um, modification would be changing you know, the number of players, the actual strategies of the games, the conditions on the game. So that's kind of um, that's kind of the, the response to roll out the ball. Now, in terms of observable learning, you would use that toolkit and use that handbag based on what your students do and what you see in your students. Now, for any kind of based on the stuff that we've been doing, any kind of professional development, I re would recommend um, from working with the teachers um, is that use a GoPro. So yeah. GoPro, you will see uh, the teachers have had it on them and you actually see what students do. 
And the difference in the type of footage that you get from a static camera to a GoPro is that you actually feel that you are there and you are in the session. And you, you see more than you do when you are teaching because you've got all different things and kids are coming up to you. So in terms of navigating against and looking at what students do and being able to select conditions, my first tip for anyone would be kind of watch a video back on what your students are doing in a lesson to begin to devise the types of conditions and responses you would do. Mm. No, absolutely. I, I think they're yeah. great points. Can't wait till we publish it and can share it. What do you want to ask, Aaron? Well, I, I just wonder, as Vicky was talking, is, is it are there, and this maybe is for another episode, but are there teaching skills or teaching practices, and maybe Vicky can address this with experience and other models as well, but are there that, that transcend all models, that maybe at the peak level, at the teacher prep level, we focus on those and a little bit of exposure to a variety of models, but give them those skills that they'll need Again, it goes back to this chef analogy I've used before is are, regardless of whether you want to cook Italian food or Lebanese food like Dean had for his birthday dinner tonight. Are there <laughs> certain things as a chef you have to be regardless of the type of food that you want to cook? And are there certain skills that a teacher needs regardless of the model they're going to use? And maybe again, I just thought of it because she was talking about the different pedagogical skills. And I completely agree. Videoing yourself is the most powerful thing any teacher will ever do. Um, is there? I don't know. I'm just, again, my job here, I'm just asking questions today. I think, I think. Um, well, I know, yeah. Nathan, what What do you think? I think I was no, like you... listening to that and there was something that I was thinking about before that I wanted to add. I think like it all comes, for me, it all comes down to questioning skills. If you can ask good questions of your students, then you're going to get good answers. If you're not asking any questions or you're asking bad questions, then you're not going to get the types of answers you want, whether that's within a tactical setting, whether that's within any model, I think if you know what it is that, if you know what you're asking, if you're asking good questions, then you're gonna give your students the best opportunity to actually be able to think about things outside of that little box that they're operating in in that moment and actually start inquiring in deep, deeper into what they're learning and thinking about what they're learning rather than just going through the motions, which I think happens a lot in physical education classes. And I notice it in my kids as well. Kids who especially in an international school where we have a really transient population. When I get new kids into my class, I can pretty much tell what sort of PE program they've come from based on their engagement level within the lesson. They're just going through the motions. They're not really engaged in what's happening. You ask them questions and they just look at you with this blank look on their face. You can tell that they've come from that drill, 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 skill, skill, skill approach. They've never been asked those questions before. You see, I see kids now in my school that I've taught for the last five years and they're used to me asking them questions and they really, they think about things in a different way. They're able to transfer that knowledge across a lot of different things. So I think that the tools and that right. transcend everything is questioning. Well, and Bunker and Thorpe in their original paper identified exactly that. There's one of the things I said is you've got to be able to ask questions. You've got to know how to ask the right questions. You've got to be comfortable with the silence while they're trying to figure those questions out. But we've done some work beyond that. Vicky, what you seeing some, is there another skill set that the teachers can have that operate well within this model, this, these game centered approaches? Yeah. And I mean, I think it links to your point about questioning. Um, so we've done some work around uh, challenging the idea of what it is to be a facilitator. So often in these models, we would suggest that. Um, I love that. love that word. Not. 
<laughs> often we would say that you know oh these models are all student-centered we need to be student-centered student-centered is the new buzzword and, and all tgfu cooperative learning sport education we would say the student-centered students students drive things and what we actually found was okay well facilitator that means what guide on the side similar to roll out the ball and what we actually, Dean and I have worked on is trying to develop a framework for effective teacher behaviours, a teacher behaviour that would have maximum impact. And I suppose what we've come to across these models and across effective teaching practices is that we need to go through a process of diagnose, respond and evaluate. So diagnose means diagnosing your students' learning needs. And this can occur through a process of observation, uh, standing back and just watching, which is often quite difficult or questioning to validate your interpretation of the understanding. A response might be you walk away and leave them and you uh, you help you, you, it's fine for them to continue working out the problem. Or it might be specific guidance or direction uh, using questioning again, or it might be you change the setup of the activity. And then an evaluation, in order to know that your interaction or what you've done or the response has been effective, you need some way of validating what's happened. So again, that might be an observation or that might be a question. So in summary, across the three approaches, across the models, I would say an effective way to do things is diagnose, respond and evaluate. Yep. Yeah, can I, can I, just, pick, can I, yeah, can I just go on that? Because I think like if I'm sort of piggybacking a little bit on what Vicky was saying about questioning, if I think about myself when I'm questioning students, I think that if I obviously know what the the learning outcome or the intent of the, the lesson or the activity is, then in my mind I have a series of questions which I think are going to enable the students to get to that understanding. Uh, but I think that being able to diagnose, like Vicky's talking about, is you'll ask a question and kid, this is why I, like kids are great because you'll ask a question and they'll give you an answer that you'll never ever expect. But it doesn't mean that it's a wrong answer. It means that your questions are now going to veer off in another direction. Which, is, which I think is completely fine. So I think being able to diagnose where your kids are at, and it goes really well, I think, with – I'm, I'm lucky that I've taught in an inquiry-based sort of curriculum for the last, you know, seven or eight years, is that that whole idea of being able to ask questions based off the answers that your, your students give and that sort of emergent curriculum idea. I think being able to diagnose where your kids are at, like Vicky said, and being able to modify and adapt, whether it's your questions or whether it's your activities, I think is, yeah, it's really, really valid, I think. Okay, so let, let's let's try and tie this around a little bit because um, around, uh, I mean, the, the stuff that we're doing in our research around diagnosing, responding, evaluating is very clinical in its approach and just like any clinician i mean you come in you, you have questions you know you're a doctor they, the patient sits down and you say well you know tell me what's wrong how are you feeling there are standard questions that you can go to but aaron i'm going to ask you on this how much time do you think we actually and i'm i'm really critical of myself now when i think about this how much time in our in our teacher education programs we're teaching our, our beginning teachers how to ask questions, how to be uncomfortable or how to be comfortable rather with the silence and the pause and how to respond when a student like Aaron uh, Nathan says responds with something you're not quite ready for, you weren't able to predict. I mean, I, I can't see us building those sorts of micro teaching skills, if you want to call them that, into our programs. It's I, I think I think we can. I just don't think we do. Yeah. I no, I, I don't think it happens much at all. I, I mean, 
I think it would be fascinating to find out because everywhere you go and you talk to different professors, it's totally different. I, I, at one point in my career, I went through and looked at all kinds of syllabi of introduction to physical education classes and to see what was covered. And most of the time it's chapter by chapter, um, that kind of thing. And, and it's not, um, it's one of the things when you write a textbook, it's, that's not the intent really, at least in my mind, the textbooks intended to supplement what you're doing, but I don't think we do it much at all. I may be wrong, yeah. but. And if people are interested, I think I, yeah, I don't like giving myself or people are about. Do you have a good book on this or something, Dean? Is that what you oh, want to tell yeah. us? I, well, I was going to say is that uh, well, Vicky and I are actually. I'm going to be in the UK later this month and working at the University of Birmingham with Vicky, and we we've been doing this stuff with GoPros on teachers. Some think they're using TGFU, or they're doing all sorts of models, and it's going to be interesting to look at some of this data. But I'm thinking maybe our next episode, given that this notion of questioning is coming up, and and seeing when uh, teachers ask questions and the sorts of questions they're asking if these are a universal uh a universal skill set um that that keeps coming up um to effective models but really it's it's at the cornerstone it has been at the cornerstone of the tgfu model since inception but it seems to be a difficult skill that one we're not teaching or two um we're not giving them enough time i know that nathan thinks that it's probably something you pick up on the job right just quickly well, yeah. i think i think for me like if if when i came out of university after my teacher education i don't think that i necessarily had fantastic questioning skills i think it comes with asking a lot of questions and getting getting answers that like you realize pretty quickly that you're not you're not asking the right questions if you're not getting the mm. answers that maybe you're looking for is how can you ask the right question and i think for me that came through you know what, I'm 10, 11 years of teaching. I'm just starting to feel comfortable in the last year and a half with my, my questioning ability. Yeah, so, I mean, what 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 are you doing about it at, at your end, Vicky, with your undergrads, or what are some programs you're doing to work with existing teachers to build this capacity around diagnosis, intervention, I think evaluation? Current, we've got our current project running with you, um, working with teachers to see if we can develop a kind of prototype professional development kind of form of support, guidance, a framework to support teachers in developing their questioning, being able to diagnose, respond and evaluate. Also focused on the observable learning framework about looking at what students do. Um, but we have a MOOC coming up, um, a massive open online course uh, on youth sport with the Football Association, the FA, um, and that's due to start in January. So the trailer is going to be coming out in a couple of um, weeks, and that's free. Um, so if you're interested in developing, uh, promoting creativity, modifying games, and looking at your questioning to support learners in youth sport context, which is also applicable to physical education, that might be a good course for you to look at. So uh, I know I know we're getting a lot of the TGFU permeate into sport, into coaching. We've got people who are researching it in that coaching space. I mean, you want to read some interesting stuff. Steve Harvey's obviously at um, West Virginia University does some really interesting work in this space, and I suggest that if you want to do some reading, have a look at what him and his team are doing there. Um, I think we, we could talk about this a little bit longer, but it's probably time to call it an evening. Um, uh, I want to thank I want to thank Nathan and uh, and Aaron as always. Thanks again, gentlemen, uh, for your time and Vicky for giving up uh, at such short notice for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed your thank conversation. You, Vicky. On the, on the, no thank you, Vicky. Yeah. Thanks, Vicky. And uh, thank thanks everyone for um, participating. And we'll see you next time on the Fundamental Movement. 
It's amazing what they do today with